Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. In the year 1982, Star Trek needed another sequel on the cheap. That's it. I'm sorry, I thought there was going to be a follow-up, because now we're up to 1984. It's two years later. I think this might be my least watched Star Trek film. I've seen it quite a bit, but... Not, it, not it, because it, I dislike it or anything, it just seems to be the one that I can skip. Yeah, uh, today's film, of course, is Star Trek Three. I, I think everyone on this conversation today probably loves it, but it is sort of the red-headed stepchild of the original franchise, in a way. Um, five being the the one we I, I love five too but it's the one we don't talk about right <laughs> yeah well that's the thing i can i can watch five out of like appreciating the ridiculousness of it whereas three doesn't quite it's not quite good enough or bad enough that i want to watch it <laughs> well let's get into the thick of it this is matt this is luke welcome to the sci-fi sanctuary yes and today you know when we do track trek has such a fantastic fandom and uh, Trek fans, Trekkers, or I, I still like Trekkies myself, uh, we're all willing to talk to each other, so we have one of the, the guys that knows everything today. Um, I've known him most recently listening to the Trek Files podcast, where he uh, goes through Gene Roddenberry's old files, finds interesting things, and makes some insights on those. Uh, in the 90s, he wrote the book, The Companion for Next Gen, and uh, you may have seen him actually playing McCoy on uh, Star Trek Continues, which I quite enjoyed. This is uh, Dr. Trek, uh, Larry Nemechek. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Yes, don't, but be careful how you put people on pedestals. Sometimes they they get nosebleeds and fall off. <laughs> yeah, but if someone comes on, you got to give them a, a good introduction, right? <laughs> That's that the least awesome. we can Thank offer. You, yeah. That's the least we can offer. But, um, yeah, we like to talk a little bit first about how we got into this movie. I, I've said it on this podcast before. I guess this is the second maybe non-animated film I saw in the theater. It's weird. I remember we saw Star Trek Three on opening night, and we saw Return of the Jedi very late in its run. So I don't remember which one was actually first. I'm going to assume it was Jedi, but... I do. I, I would have been five years old, and I uh, have a distinct memory of stepping into the Genesis planet because we were about five minutes late. And you know, for a five-year-old, that's as good as like a Disneyland dark ride. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so you're saying you. So these are your first two. Do you remember which one made an impact? Did they blur together as far as oh, it's a space movie. Oh, it's a space movie. Or did you you had distinctions when you were five? 
oh, my, my dad had me like keyed into Trek. The thing that I had confused, uh, well, I had all the Star Wars toys, so Trek didn't have so many toys, right? So that was one distinction. The other one is that being four or five years old, I actually thought that the original series and these movies were being made like concurrently for some reason. Like it didn't, it, I couldn't work out like there had been like 15 years in the meantime. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, you were five, yeah. Yeah, it sounds completely stupid now, but... Uh. <laughs> uh, no, no, but but I mean is you had Star Wars and Star Trek totally separate in your mind as a little kid. Because yeah, yeah. you had toys for wars and, yeah. Yeah, whereas I had to build the bridge out of, like, you know, non-colored wooden blocks, so... <laughs> but hey, we, we do what we have to. <laughs> you and a million others. If, especially if you wanted a movie bridge, because... Well, they, they built... Well, they had a movie bridge toy and made about, you know, 47 of them, and they sold out quickly, and, yeah... Of the original series, that's the 47. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, then there were like four of the. They actually built and sold a movie one that looks like motion picture, but it's like everything with a motion picture. They, they, they got all these licenses, they made all this stuff, and nobody bought it, or else they didn't get it into stores right or something. But it was, it was insane. Yeah. Um, Luke, do you remember encountering this one for the first time? It might have been a little hazier on your end. Yeah, maybe I watched it when I was a kid, because my family were into Trek, and we did watch some Trek, and I've got very clear memories of watching Motion Picture, Wrath of Khan, and Voyage Home. <laughs> I don't remember the first time I watched this one, so it might not have been until I was in my teens and bought all the DVDs myself. This one, you guys are talking about the red-headed stepchild. This is, like, in five is the one we don't talk about, and... Three, it's like nobody, it's like the bland one. It's like it's the kid in the family that nobody has a bad word about, but never got, you know, was never the scholar or the athlete. Or It's like, it's there, it didn't hurt anybody, it's just going to go off and, you know, get married and have four kids and die somewhere. I mean, it's, well, yeah, like, it's like, if you think of two, three, and four as a kind of a trilogy, this one is just the middle child. It's the middle child of the trilogy, but even you know, and and the old meme that got started, I think Richard Arnold started it of of the uh, the odd numbered ones or the off movies and the even numbered ones or the good Star Trek movies. People used to when they really sat and thought about it. Um, it's like three doesn't really deserve that, but it's like it's not as cool as two. I mean, it didn't like you know snap your head around the way two did. The whole that's more like it. If you were watching them in order and waiting two three years between each one. Motion picture you waited 10 years for and all the drama and the melodrama to get a movie done. And you were like, OK, I'm so glad that came out. I'm going to go see it six times or 20 times because we have to do better than Star Wars. But the whole time <laughs> your voice is kind of like that because it's like I've got to. I'm excited. And that's all you knew. And then Wrath of Khan came out. and You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know. So what was your. What was your 1984 hot take on this one? I was again, I was a kid, just like whoa, spaceships, jungles. So <laughs> yeah, well, my so my, my 1984 kid take was uh, well, I wasn't quite a kid, but uh, it was like okay, it's like it didn't do anything wrong, but it just didn't like zing. I mean, it had a lot of interesting things and a couple things we went okay, and we were sad that you know Kirstie Alley didn't get didn't get to recast as Savic, and we. Already knew the kind of rumblings about, well, <clears throat> she wanted too much money, so we didn't hire her back. And Robin, you know, and I'd already read interviews where Robin Curtis herself is saying, well, I knew, I understood what Vulcans were, but we'd do the takes. And, and of course, Leonard's directing, and everybody was excited about Leonard Nimoy directing. But she would do an interview, and I remember her saying, he just kept looking at me and say, drier, drier, drier. And if that's how you're 
Vulcanness is like kind of being lathered on from, you know, if it's all external, I kind of, you know, where Kirstie Alley had been a little fangirl and had been practicing her eyebrow raise since she was, you know, 10. So, um, it, it, you know, that did it. And killing off, you know, having a son and then killing him off, but having the Klingons back is actual. I mean, there were a lot of the, the planet stuff. It was cool to see them spend all this money on mechanical effects, but it's 1984 and the mechanical effects look like mechanical effects on a stage. <laughs> so, you know, when the planet's breaking up. But it was like kudos for them for trying. We didn't it didn't throw you out of the movie. It might now, but back then it didn't throw you out. And we were just like thrilled that they were spending money spending money on it, you know. I it wasn't a huge big Vista movie, but we were we were happy with it. Having my view this day, uh, or in the past few days, the only thing that really struck me with the effects were um just some of the, you know, like bit uh matrix looking or dot matrix or whatever, just the really old computer graphics. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they, yeah, nobody was being visionary <laughs> on the. What's amazing about this this movie is people forget that this is the movie that gave you know, like they spent tons of money on, on Nilo Rodas, who worked at ILM, wound up being the production designer. It's like they didn't get a, a Hollywood production designer; they just got the ILM guy. But all these ships that got reused a billion times all through the Berman era, even. Um, well, like the uh, so the Excelsior was built here, the 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 um, uh, the the uh, uh, the the science ship. I've just gone blank. Oh, um, oh. the one that you can't get to unless you you can't get to the engineering section unless you go through <laughs> the cells through the Jeffries tubes in the nacelles. Yeah, the Grissom, the Grissom. He gave us the uh, the Excelsior, the Grissom. The space dock and the bird of prey that is still, I'm sure, on some camera rig somewhere being filmed for something right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's like all these these iconic things. Like the one thing about that's a sleeper about Star Trek Three is everybody goes, "Oh, you have to re- remember that all these iconic things that got used for 47 years, you know, all came out of this movie." It's like they spent what well, they do spend a third of the movie budget on miniatures, and then they were like they couldn't give them up for <laughs> for decades and decades. <laughs> That's for the original one. The budget was so big just because of the like the new TV show. Everything like just the snowballed into that budget. <laughs> um, as for three, though, Luke, can you give us a quick rundown of the tale of Star Trek Three? Okie dokie. The crew of the Enterprise are in mourning at the death of Spock, and are then hit with more sad news. Starfleet tells them the Enterprise is being decommissioned, and Sarek tells them that Spock's immortal soul is trapped in McCoy's head and must be reunited with the body that was left on Genesis. Meanwhile on the Genesis planet, which is now a galactic controversy and a top secret, Savick and David are doing science. They beam down to the planet and find Mr. Spock's body, alive but without memories, aging rapidly alongside the planet itself. Suddenly, some Klingons arrive under the leadership of Kruge. He destroys the science vessel and captures the humans and Vulcans. I just accidentally, um... check off that vessel a little bit. Back on Starbase, our heroes hijack the Enterprise and escape to the Genesis planet, 
where an exchange with the Klingons cripples their engines. Kruge kills David to show that he means business, then attempts to capture the vessel, but a clever ploy sees it self-destruct with the Klingons on board. Kirk and co. land on the planet, batter Krug, I have had enough of you, and commandeer the ship just in time to escape the exploding Genesis planet and get Spock back to Vulcan. So we'll talk a little bit about the actors specifically. Um, we actually, I guess we have to start with Christopher Lloyd because my, my dad listens sometimes and he was annoyed that we didn't start talking about Krug when we were talking about Back to the Future. I'm like, it was Back to the Future. Why would we do that? <laughs> so yes, let's talk about Christopher Lloyd here. I, I, he's, he's an old school Klingon in new school makeup, but uh, with on that, I guess, balancing beam, you might be... One of the be- oh, well, he is one of the best ever, I think, but definitely a um, idiosyncratic uh, Klingon. Yeah, he's really watchable, um, and there were a few moments where it's like he's not quite playing that snarling original series pure villain Klingon. Like the 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 line I always remember is um, when Kirk says, "I'll oh, give us a minute," and he's the, "Oh, we'll give you two minutes for you and your valiant crew." <laughs> yeah. Or is is this the one where they say put him on? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I always, but that's that's where like the Reverend Jim almost comes out there. Put him on. Yeah, um, yeah, because because Christopher Lloyd was so big with. Uh, now this is this was before Back to the Future. That was eighty six. So this is before that. But yeah, everybody knew him as Reverend Jim from from Taxi, from the sitcom, and people were like, oh, oh, he's. You know, John Larroquette is one of the other Klingons, too. And this is before he was he had barely been. Yeah. Night Court had barely gotten big. And then he had his own show later on. But before he played Dan Fielding, the the D.A. on the assistant D.A. on Night Court all those years. And he's kind of it's almost like he's subdued as this Klingon. But he's uh, it was it's really, you know, later on, it's really weird that that set they built for the for the bird of prey was never used again. But that high perched up throne and everybody else is around him. Uh, around the commander on the on the little uh, consoles, it was. Uh, I don't want to say the movie came off cheap because it's, but it looked like they paid. They put all the money into the visual effects because it's the '80s and they thought they had to, and then everything else was, you know, cobbled together landscapes and redone Starfleet buildings and <laughs> and things. It was. Yeah, Child Matt was definitely confused when four came out. I'm like, why does it look completely different now? <laughs> I def- I noticed that. Um, so they worked maybe, hard those three months on Vulcan. Maybe the key to Klingon is casting a comedian. I mean, even Michael Dorn, um, you know, once you get to DS9, he's like a one-line king. <laughs> one-liner king. Yeah. Well, aside from Christopher Lloyd here, so you, you had uh, the Klingons in five, but they were almost like, you know, a throwaway. It was really not till you got to David Warner and uh, Christopher Plummer in six that you kind of got back to this. But even by then, they'd already started showing you that was two year, three years into, um, well, four years into Next Generation. You'd already had Worf and the Klingons from, from Next Gen pooling out there. But no, I thought he was... Is it in five that we see Worf's ancestor played by Michael Dorn? No, that's six. He's, no, sorry, playing, I meant, the I meant prosecutor. Six. Yeah, He's yeah. playing the prosecutor at the trial for Kirk and McCoy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because here the whole thing about Klingons and honor and the Klingon houses, that's all next-gen development. And here he's Lord – but they were trying to give the Klingons something besides cardboard cutout villains, 
and he's Lord Cruz all the way through this. Like there's a there's a hierarchy of Klingon society, and there's like classes, and he's a higher class, and that's why he's a you know it's almost like old school whatever British navies where you could buy your way into a captaincy or something, and the the riffraff was just the four guys, but they got away and they got taken care of unless they sank or something, you know. But it's like uh, they tried to put some hierarchy to it. They didn't quite go that way, but it almost feels like the old the John Ford novels that were. Um, I think that was his name that they were trying to do to try to flesh out the Klingons at the time. And then everything that developed on Next Generation totally threw that out the window. But again, it's the 80s and you're getting a movie every two years and you're lucky to get that. So <laughs> the uh, another little moment I liked um, at the start when they're talking about Genesis, the Klingons, it actually really reminded me of the Klingons motivation in Discovery. Because he's saying like, oh, yeah, wonderful. They'll create this planet for you and all of it under the flag of the Federation. Mm-hmm. And the flag the of the Federation just... is fluttering in the breeze. And that yeah, 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 that's yeah. the one. <laughs> the, just one more bit on Lloyd. We just have to give him where he relishes his line so much. I, I mean, that's the real key. Just exhilarating, isn't it? No one else, no one else can give those reads. <laughs> <laughs> All the way through. And remember, it starts off where you don't really get it in the script, but if you read the behind the scenes in the novel and all that, um, Valkyrie's the woman at the beginning is his lover, is his girlfriend, his, I don't know, fiance, whatever you want to call her. And he blows her up because he's, he's you know, if you've touched this information, you, you've got to go away. And it's not just the merchant. Oh, the merchant man ship is another hardworking ship that got reused a billion times, too, at the beginning. But, um, you know, that whole early scene where she gets it for him and then he blows her away and they bid, bid goodbye is really not your typical original series Klingon bit either, unless you go back to... A little bit of well, We day. probably won't spend too much time talking about her, but on Valkyrie, I was doing a little <laughs> look at the actors on IMDb before this, and her main picture on the internet comes from her profile on wikifeet.com. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a picture of her in a bikini where you can see her feet, and apparently that's the most important picture of her. Okay. Well, <laughs> she's probably not wanting to, you know, brag on her Klingon makeup, so there you go. <laughs> um... We, we've really, I mean, we've we've done one in Star Trek one and two on this podcast. We've talked about the main actors a fair bit, but Larry, you've you've done interviews. Is there any insights on three in particular that you may have caught wind of? <laughs> well, I mentioned earlier on about Robin uh, Curtis being, you know, the new Savick in cast, and I remember at the time it's out there, but I remember at the time we already knew that she was playing Savick because the corporate line anyway was that Kirsty wanted too much money and probably what was really happening was her agent that was her first credited role in Rathacon for Kirstie Alley and and she'd been a fan and she loved it and she ate it up and within a few months like I'm working on this documentary The Con of Wrath and she did a convention in San Francisco and she did the Houston uh, meltdown convention the uh, ultimate fantasy and then somewhere soon after that she got the word that they were they were going to or her agent got the word that they were negotiating too high and he he pulled you know he pulled the uh well we're not budging and they're like okay fine we'll recast it and they're like what wait wait guys wait 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 you know it was too late by then and then soon after that she was on cheers and you know she was doing look who's talking and her career took off and she didn't need star trek anymore and most of all she'd been the fan that was fangirling and then didn't want the world to know it because that would you know pigeonhole her so after a while she was almost like glad she didn't get Savick, except you know, years later, she's I'm sure kind of sad about it. 
And the rest of the world, it's like nobody wants to – it's like, well, we really liked Kirstie because she was the first image of it. So I just remember at the time going, okay, well, they they had a money issue with Kirstie, and her manager didn't see it out well. So they recast it, and we were all going, well, okay, but it's certainly not exactly – you know, she Robin was not as – she wasn't coached that way. She wasn't directed that way, but she was not a fan – you know, she didn't have Star Trek in her DNA – and she just wasn't quite as seductively Vulcan or, you know, Vulcan Happery, whatever your background is, as even though she's the one that's supposedly, and they've cut the scenes, supposedly part of, you know, the whole regeneration of Spock from a kid up through a teenager is he's going through Pond Far Cycles. And they had the subtext there as, as, uh, she makes it with him so he can survive his Pond Far. And the scene in Star Trek Four originally was going to be she stays behind on Vulcan because she's pregnant with Spock's kid. And then as the political winds changed, they took that scene out, and then they didn't even write her into Five. So, you know, what could have been? What could have been? But that's that's the main thing we were talking. And, oh, God, Jose Ferrer, oh, uh, James B. Sicking is the Excelsior captain that people knew from Hill Street Blues. He's kind of playing the same kind of, you know. Did they name him? I just in my notes I just kept writing Captain Al- Alfonso Prick. <laughs> I don't know if they actually gave him a name. <laughs> I think they I think I think they did and it wasn't far off that. Okay. <laughs> I, I wanna say Esteban was his name, Captain Esteban, but I might have completely yeah. invented yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, just I was thinking about the uh, Spaceballs crew and I was like, nah nah, this is the, the real crew of those guys. <laughs> Um, Transwarp too. That's like new Coke. Yeah, it didn't really work out. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like it was too good a word. So yeah, everybody for a long time, everybody thought, oh, Transwarp, the failed thing in in the Excelsior. But then they brought, they kind of brought the word back and used it in the next gen era because they would talk, especially with Voyager. Voyager's going to you know develop some kind of Transwarp and help get back faster. Uh, and what helps retcon that is if you think about it. People left the theater thinking that Transwarp, in air quotes, was like a failure. But remember, Scotty, Scotty uh, broke it deliberately. <laughs> right. We never, we never saw it work on its own. All you saw was a sabotage ship going. So it's like people made fun of it. But if you really look at it, it was, it was probably totally fine. And Transwarp, some people, posh, you know, they they changed the warp scale. The whole can't go faster than warp ten. They just redid the scale because eventually they figured out that supposedly you can't go – there's like an ultimate warp scale, top warp speed, just like there's like an ultimate zero, right? Like there's a bottom temperature to the temperature scale. You can't go colder than that, and the absolute zero is that on that on a – on a um, not Kel- – uh, yeah, the Kelvin scale. And so it's kind of like the reverse. There's an absolute warp that they – and then Voyager, you know. Threshold. Why do I keep mentioning Voyager? The, the threshold thing. And it's like they redid the warp scale to have an absolute zero version of the top warp maximum. Well, it's funny you mentioned Kelvin as well, because they also bring back the word transwarp there. Well, yeah. So what I'm saying is what may have happened was they at the time, they every, it's like everything is transwarp now. We don't even talk about it. Or maybe there's a super hyper cool transwarp that people experiment with still. Because they kept coming up with all these experimental warp drives in Voyager every time some alien race would throw them a bone, you know, a temptation or something. Sorry, somewhere at the back of my mind, there's a real-world example where we did that. Like, is it with computer data we say there's bits and megabits, but now that date numbers are so large, we just call the big one the name of the small one? 
Oh, calories, something like that. Where, yeah, the numbers got so big that we don't even differentiate the smaller number anymore. Had to re- redo the whole scale. Yeah. yeah. To re- yeah. It's happened with um, currencies as well. Like, you used to have pennies and half pennies, but now the penny is the smallest one because you never go that low anymore. <laughs> yeah, and who even goes to pennies, really? No, so so the thing is, out of this movie, and that's not so much now. If you see it now, you go, okay. But back in the day, when we were getting, you know, it was the great, it was the fallow times then, and all you got was a, of Star Trek was a movie every two years, and you were happy for it. And the idea that there would be more TV series somewhere, because you Star Trek used to be these guys on this ship, and that was the mm. whole, that was your mind, that was your thing, and you were happy to get them back finally after ten years of fighting, you know, and petitioning and all that. And the idea, and it was so funny because the, with all the hoo-ha lately of Discovery and some of the fan base pushback, and so a lot of it's troll and bot, but uh, bots doing it. But some people upset with Discovery and Picard and all that. But it's every new comeback of Star Trek after a big gap, especially if there's new people running it. Um, there's there's kind of that pushback. It's like people went along, coasted along with their head cannon, you know, for ten years or twelve years, and so next generation. There was a lot of uh, there were a lot of people that looked at Next Generation as replacing Kirk Spock and McCoy and Shatner Nimoy Kelly and their ship and their world and it's like no guys it's 80 years in the future they did this to preserve everything you love but a lot of people didn't get that memo until finally it became obvious and um, um, anyway there were there were tweaks along the way here a lot of people didn't like the Excelsior it got the nickname of the pregnant guppy and people the whole thing of the other thing about this movie is the controversial part of it was killing the Enterprise, quote unquote, because, you know, the Enterprise had always been a character. And I always hated the scene where they're on the planet and he self-destructs it because uh, especially when McCoy says, my, he says, by God, Bones, what have you done? And McCoy says, well, you know, it's the same thing you always did. You had to find a way to survive. And I go, no, you always found a way to survive that didn't involve blowing up the ship. <laughs> it's like, and don't tell me it's TV and we have to have it next week, and this is a movie and we don't have to worry about it. It's like, I just, I was just always mad because that was at the time part of the magic to me. Now we have this big, huge canvas, and you know, we have bloody A, B, C, and D, and other generations and other centuries to explore. But at the time, I was really pissed. It's like, oh, they're just doing this for a movie. And there were interviews with Har Bennett and the effects guys, Ken Ralston at ILM, where they were like, yeah, the, we hated the old Enterprise. And they meant they hated the miniature because it was built in the 70s and it was heavy and hard to, you know, they learned so much so quickly. And and the, the Excelsior was going to be, everybody's going to fall down and praise it. And everybody hated it. They hated losing the Enterprise and they hated the shape of the new ship. And they had to backtrack real fast. But early on, they were like, oh, you're going to love the new ship. You're going to love the new ship. It's going to be awesome. It's bigger and more powerful, and we build a better model. And by the end of the reaction to it, um, they were co- people called it the pregnant guppy. And, and they were backtracking real quickly to the point where by the end of four, oh, look, it's exactly the same <laughs> refit design. How- you, can't, you can't better the best model. <laughs> <laughs> say oh in terms of like in canon how long is there between the motion picture and this film people keep people keep fudging 
um, about the motion picture because we used to say it was like it's supposed to be two and a half years between the end of the five year mission and the motion picture. And if the five year mission went and after people really started getting hardcore about assigning years and after Mike Okuda started really chronologizing things so they could make reference to it by next gen time. Same thing as with the star charts and the star layouts. Uh, you know, the, the five year mission went from 65 to 69. That sounds like four years, but if you've got 65, 66, 67, yeah, yeah, yeah. 68, 69, that's five years. And bumping it up to 64 to 68, so two and a half years can make you 2270, 2270. Uh, this is in the weeds, I know. But the basic thing is by the time of Star Trek, they didn't really think about the timing with these things. Although I love the scene at the time when McCoy gives him the the end the uh, uh, Romulan ale and he says twenty two eighty three why bones and it's people all go oh it has a you know Gregorian year on the label well it was supposed to be that it hadn't aged very long I mean you kind of got that idea that after he drinks it it's kind of like bad or it's really strong or it's like just out of the barrel or however <laughs> however the Romulans do it and eventually I don't think it was intended at the time but eventually Star Trek four they just do everything like with easy numbers. And so they're they're running around San Francisco and there's a newspaper in a stand that says October, you know, 20 uh, 1986. And they really and the movie comes out in 1986. So a that's one thing that's obviously easy to do. They're running around in our time, which happens to be 86 the year the movie's made. What a coincidence. But for their time, they just basically make it, you know, 200 year 200 300 years in the future. 3, yeah. I trip up on that sometimes. So, the, so they're saying that, that the trilogy. So, if you if you go back and remember that Rathacon happens, and then three months later, Star Trek Three happens. They've been on Vulcan for three months, and then they fly back, and within days, all of Star Trek Four happens. So, the trilogy all happens like within three to four months of itself. Mm. And if the end of that is is eighty six, is twenty two eighty six, then people have fudged it to make the, it start in eighty five, and then this just bled over in a you know, in a Terran Gregorian calendar into eighty into twenty two eighty six. So that's, but it kind of like ret, they kind of in the day retconned the first two. Oh well, they must have, you know, after they were all written and put out there. Oh, I guess they did all happen within like four months of each other, two, three, and four. So to say it's been like fifth. So to basically to say it's like fourteen, fifteen years since the motion picture. Okay, because the start of motion picture, the Enterprise has just been refitted. But in this film, they're like, ah, now time to get rid of it. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, <laughs> but 14 years, I guess that's a little while. And it's like, wait, so are they, because we were going, so are they talking about like when it was refit for Kirk at the beginning or like between where no man and, you know, is a paint job and a lower bridge dome and new things on the back of the nacelle? Is that a refit? You know, what was that about? And, or is it before? Anyway, I, I mean, we all were scratching. They got so specific, it was cool. It was awesome for the background people. But then when you start doing the math, you're kind of like, wait, what? 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 Again, <laughs> yeah. it was like, you just wanted to get rid of this model. You just wanted to get rid of these sets. We know what you're doing, smart guys at ILM. <laughs> you're, you're so full of yourselves thinking you're going to come along and reinvent the Star Trek world. They could get away with it in the 80s. There's no internet. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. No, and and the other thing was that Wrath of Khan started into was it was so – like they never would have said Admiral on the Bridge. And Gene's – you know, the original Roddenberry thing of having these short sleeve uniforms and people didn't salute and it was 
you had ranks basically to show promotions, but it wasn't really uber military ish. And then that all hepped up with Rathacon and and admirals and captains and all the officers have all this. They're dripping with gold braid and gold brass and all of this obvious, you know, insignia stuff where it had never been that way before. And it was I was just would roll my eyes and go, oh, it's the Reagan 80s. You know, it's just a conservative bent. And then, of course, Next Generation immediately pulled back from that and went back to shirt sleeves again. But that was another thing. So it was cool to see them running around in their civvies. And and to realize they're going to be stuck in those same civvies <laughs> for the next. Yeah, they must smell pretty rank by Star Trek Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? You hope it's not too long. I hope maybe Vulcan's got a laundromat. Although Matt, as you pointed out in your notes, Kirk civvies are almost the uniform anyway. Yeah, they want him to still, you know, have kind of hold his character, I guess. Um, oh, Shatner only wants, you know, Shatner only wanted to make sure it's something really distinctive. They tried to give everybody something distinctive, but oh my god, I feel so sorry for Walter and his little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> so it's just, he was not happy about it either, but, you know. One thing they did very well in this movie is, I think this is the first time, and I, I don't want to besmirch characters on this, but we'll say the B-list crew. I mean, this is the first time they really had some nice room to um, have some moments with the, uh, you know, the tiny scene. Um, Yohara, that, that may be her best scene ever as he's uh, shoving the young buck into the closet. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, some of the lines and the memes that people yeah, don't call me tiny and uh, be careful what you wish for, Lieutenant. You may get it. Which, you know, the lines that I use all the time. Um, there's another one from this movie uh, I don't know. We get some vessels. Yeah. What's interesting to me is how some of the things that only time shows you, and it's like how the 60s crew starts off with a very 60s TV. You know, we got a lead, we got a second banana, and then we got everybody else. And as the movies went along, they got more, and you got into like movie clout negotiating for contracts on whatever little standing they could do after the big two. Then it's like, Things did get a little more democratic, small d democratic, you know, as far as giving them bits, giving them a scene. Everybody would at least say, hey, I want my own, which in the, in the, well, I'll get to that. And Next Gen started off as the on, you know, the post Hill Street Blues ensemble. And the more their movies went along, the more it turned into lead, second banana, and everybody else. I mean, it was really weird to me how they went, not to broaden this too much, but backwards. And everybody benefited except, and it starts here, poor George. It's like he was supposed to be talking about getting his own ship, and the Excelsior was supposed to wind up being his ship, and they cut the little mention of that. It's in the novelization for for Star Trek Three. He's supposed to talk about he's got the Excelsior coming up, and that went away. And it's like poor George. Like everything, like they cut his. You know, Ilea walks in and he gets a boner moment in the motion picture. That gets cut. His talking about having a command here gets cut in Star Trek Four. Through no fault of his, the little boy that's supposed to be his great, 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 whatever, grandfather moment scene, it goes away. And they don't have time to – his little moment of stealing the helicopter, the Huey, in four, they had to cut it for some reason. It's like, poor guy. I mean, it's like – Oh, is that cut? I've seen that, though, right? You probably have seen it, but as far as the okay. theatrical release – no, I, the, the little boy, they didn't even get to shoot it. The, the kid was, like, upset, and they never got to film it. Wow. <laughs> now the 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 take the take the Huey may have been. I'm trying to remember if I ever saw that or not. But the little kid never. Yeah, it's it's all the scene where they walk. You see the final movie and they're walking in front of the Yellow Pages ad that's painted on the side of the building. 
Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely. Right there, the little the little Chinese lady was supposed to come out of that building behind them, and the little kid run out, and they were going to have a little scene right there. So they were all set to do it, and they were losing they were losing sun, and they couldn't postpone it because they had such a tight schedule. Anyway, I just feel sorry for George. It's like he had, don't call me tiny, and he had the uh, teacup scene in six. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's like he got his ship, but he didn't get to be in the rest of the movie. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but it's like that's all he got in the movie era. So it's, yeah, I kind of feel sorry for him. I guess we've danced around them. We haven't really talked about the big three yet. Um, I guess of all the movies, this one is McCoy's film, right? Uh, let me think. Yeah, he he's kind of in the ensemble of all the everybody that got the scenes. He's got the chemical factory in the you know the acrylic poly the plex factory in um or whatever it is the transparent aluminum factory, and he's got the hospital scene in four, and five is just I just don't even think about five much. <laughs> I was I wasn't happy with McCoy in five either, but uh, you know it's like his dad, and that's and his dad's name is David and all that, which yeah. But um, you might be yeah. And six, he's you know they try to he's got all the time with Kirk in the prison. He tries to say no, he's got some good stuff here, and um, yes, I'm trying to think real real fast through here. Oh, the whole thing about having Spock's Katra. um, and going slightly crazy, and the rescue out of the cell. Is really you know the bit where Kirk says how many fingers am I holding up you know the the saw the the lore legend about Shatner cannot do the Vulcan salute <laughs> he, he doesn't have the muscle the muscles he doesn't have the muscles and the fingers to do that and they uh, took monofilament like fishing line and tied his fingers together so all he does is raise his hand up for just a second and um, oh that's a good one yes I definitely did not know that. <laughs> That's not very damn funny. But, you know, McCoy's thing about getting the punchlines better and better all the way through the movie is really takes off here, too. He's, you know, he's got it happens more and more, too. But he's uh, I guess he's the one that really gets less in the movies. I mean, the, in TOS, he's he is like one of the main actors. So they made sure to get his name up there in the third season, too. Right. Uh, or the second one, too. So, yeah, second season. Right. Right. So um, he's I mean, the the B crew got a little more in the movies i mean you know kirk and spock well spock got a little less because he's barely in this one right but um mccoy's the one that really got more i guess in tos but <laughs> he had whole episodes well i think i think mccoy did it right by this the other thing that's cool here and here's a here's the thing people don't know at the end when they're doing the ceremony and uh Sarek says i'm Sarek, son of Solcor, so son of you know Sarek. he rattles off his lineage which people have retconned into future Star Treks when they went back in time. Like, mm. his great-grandfather was who was not named in the movie. In First Contact, when the first Vulcan stands there and comes down from the ship after it lands in Bozeman, they've retconned that with a bio that was on screen in the finale, or near the finale of Enterprise. But they've bioed that to be Spock's, one of those two names that he mentions there, his, like, great-grandfather. And then... Sarek's, you know, Sarek's grandfather and Spock's great grandfather. They tried to invent a lineage for all that, but it's funny when Sarek has just said that to the priestess, you know, Dame Judith Anderson. So they've got a little class level in there too. <laughs> uh, and then McCoy says, "McCoy, uh, son of David." You know, McCoy Leonard H, son of David. It's like, ooh, we got McCoy's dad's name, and it's a funny moment. But he says, "McCoy Leonard H." 
and nowhere in any of Star Trek filmed, including um, including Kelvin Universe, had they ever said what his middle name was or now what that H stood for. And at the time, there was a really good background fanzine group that Jeff Mandel worked with that I got into in the back when that we had a hobby of doing that because nobody else cared. There were like ten people in the whole world that cared about this shit. And um, his middle name was supposed to be Horatio, but they never say that. You know, it's the movies that give you uh, Takai's uh, uh, Sulu's first Hikaru comes out in six, I think. Um, and then uh, Uhura's doesn't come out. Naota doesn't. It was out there, but it never was on film canon until Star Trek Nine, even the Kelvin. But he says Leonard H. And never says what the H stands for. And when it was on screen, I said, oh, cool, they went with Horatio. And then I didn't realize that like 12 people knew that. <laughs> and I would say that and people go, you don't know that. You don't. It's like, why would they pick the H? They saw that fan thing and did it. And in 86, I was at a con- one of the, when I was first able to go to out-of-town conventions and went on uh, to interview people and come back and do it for my paper, uh, D was at a at a press conference, one of the first times I got to talk to him at length, and I said, so what does the H stand for? And he goes, Horatio! Like, well, doesn't everybody know that? But if you weren't in that room with that recorded on tape, I mean, it's like, it's nowhere else. So, anyway, there's something for everybody. The H stands <laughs> for Horatio, guys. Nice. We brought you in for the fun trivia, so <laughs> there's a lot I have not heard before. <laughs> I, I like to think this is much more than trivia, guys. Now, come on, this is a... <laughs> Life. This is your sanity check on a crazy world. <laughs> Much more than trivia. Yeah. Well, Matt, you mentioned like Leonard Nimoy barely being in this one, yet his presence is everywhere in this film. Well, yeah, he's behind the camera. <laughs> oh yeah, but I, I, just, you you feel him, right? You no, feel, like, no, you feel definitely. Box presence throughout this whole film, even when he's, he's not the, on screen. He's the Poochie. When Poochie's not there, everyone has to ask where's Poochie. <laughs> but on that subject, I do briefly want to. S- speak about the force box we do get in this film right right um so the screams when you first hear spock that's that's frank welker that's megatron so that's pretty cool and then you've got the three actors who portray spocks at different stages of his life there's one the child actor he didn't really do anything else and the adult actor he went on to do some like bit parts in tv shows and movies and the teenage actor actually had a pretty tragic life after this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ended up um, dying in jail, unfortunately. The middle one there that you mentioned, I think he did, a, and I've gone blank on his name, but uh, he Carl has Stevens. done. Some, yeah, he's done. He's got out on the con circuit and done a couple of conventions. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, he, he's he's not carried away with himself, but you know he doesn't try to go out and, and blast him. He doesn't try to you know rival Marina Sirtis or something. <laughs> but um, who calls herself the Con Queen? I'm not. I'm not uh, bashing Marina here. Con but uh, she. Um, but he's gone out. You know, he's limited, and when he goes out, it's kind of fun. But it's funny because the whole. Th- it's it's amazing because almost out of the gate, this was called the Search for Spock. So mm-hmm. it's not like it was a big secret that well, that means they either find him or they you know find him air quotes or they don't. <laughs> it yeah. is a search. <laughs> So the fact that he was directing it, kind of well, he's, it's not like he's estranged from everything at Paramount. He's doing the show. It's a search for him. But it's funny the days he they kept up with this pretense. All the days that he was shooting as Spock, you know, adult Spock on the planet, or especially at the end, uh, they had a pseudonym on the call sheets. He was Frank Force. 
So the days when instead of putting Leonard Nimoy, you're like number two on the call sheet, it said number two, Frank Force, which was I was like, who the hell is that? And back then you couldn't IMDb something, but <laughs> you uh, that was that was their way, their cute little way of trying to keep it, you know, which it pretty much had leaked out by the end. So that was kind of a, a pointless thing. But yeah. Yeah, this is one where I, I've, I've, I have watched this one a fair amount. I mean, when I was a teenager, it's like Luke says he goes back and watches his entire film series, whereas it takes me a week to watch a movie these days. But um, I've definitely rocked the um, Kirk Spock trilogy um, several times. I remember uh, when I was in like elementary school or junior high, like waking up at four in the morning to go put on like my taped off TV uh, Star Trek movie. So <laughs> these are ones I have seen quite a bit. <laughs> This yeah, Sunrise Star Trek. That's what you had, yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember uh, the, with the, you know, the hand hand on label in the late '80s doing that more than once. So, <laughs> well, it's it's also cool because Mark Leonard is in this, and it's people. You know, he played. It was kind of funny after he was the Klingon captain that you barely saw in motion picture. Then it, you know, the byline was, "Oh, Mark Leonard is the first person in history to play a Klingon, a Romulan, and a Vulcan." Because you know, but people think of Sarah because it was so there, but. He was the first Romulan commander in Bounce of Terror, and then he was the first modern Klingon cat. You know, it was really a thing for a long, long time. But people think about Sarek being such a dominant character. He only was, you know, the debut in Journey to Babel, and then he was, and then not one, not motion picture, and not Con of Wrath, but he's in three and four and then six. And then next gen. <laughs> yeah. They they went oh and people loved him and the fans loved him on the con circuit yeah and then his next gen wrap up right three times the one off and then the the two parter all in one of the he dies in the first part of the uh, Spock next gen I still at the end of the day I still think Balance of Terror is my favorite bit of Mark Leonard and Trek though <laughs> Balance of Terror is one of my favorite episodes of the original series but well, it is an yeah. awesome episode yeah I it's yeah, hard for me to get past Journey to Babel being awesome on four or five levels and and you know. I also like run silent, run deep, so that probably helps. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, what was the? Um, oh, here come the brides! No, that's a whole side issue too. Anyway, it was a sitcom in the uh, dramedy in the states, and anyway, a whole side issue. Um, <laughs> but no, Mark Leonard was. It was really sad that he um, he had kidney disease and died a little bit before his time in the nineties, like ninety six. But he was he was out on the cons. He was a huge fan favorite for years and years and years. Did the early con the fan cruises and a lot of convention. I interviewed him once, um, one of those first years when I got to start going to cons, like in eighty in uh, in the eighties, mid eighties. Uh, really nice, really nice guy. It's amusing that he he became the sort of a con favorite and such a nice guy because. When he plays these roles, it seems like that would be so beneath Sarek or one of his <laughs> commanding officers. But yeah, the, 
he must be a good actor because it sounds like his real pers- personality was very different from that. Yeah, yeah. And then just real quick, on the Excelsior, James B. Sicking, you know, Esteban, when, uh, you know, you don't get much there. The Excelsior's bridge is so goofy. It's like we turned somebody loose in the 80s to design a Starfleet bridge that's supposed to be high tech, and it just looks kind of like all glowy, smooth panels. But the helmsman or whatever, that's Miguel Ferrer. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. He has like a line and a half. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But he's a—he was a big. I mean, he was—you know—his career wasn't obviously what it became later on, very quickly. But uh, he was a Trek fan, so he didn't—you know—that was back when they would like find the Trek fan Goober's actors that would come in and do it for a dime, you know, just because they so could say like they got Christian Slater showing up in six for like two seconds. <laughs> Which was that was supposed to be that was supposed to be Janice Rand and supposed to be Grace Lee Whitney's moment, but they gave it to him. Because he wanted to be in, they thought, "Oh, Christian Slater's a cameo." And yeah, she did pop up in this one for a second, didn't she? Sort of on the uh, Star Trek space time. Or yeah, something. they got her. Yeah, she stands up in the in the commissary or whatever that is, which was a cool. I remember thinking that was a cool bit, and it was like they just put a wall up and had a big blue screen and ran the model in behind it, and you know, it was awesome. Like they never did stuff like that before. It's, oh, look, it's a movie. They're spending so much money. Well, not really, but it's <laughs> they're at least thinking big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Luke, do you want to throw in any other thoughts into the mix on this one? We kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, so this film was quite a while before Next Gen, right? But the Excelsior looks so much like it was designed to be a stepping stone between TOS and Next Gen. Yeah, well, it was like two. Th- this was came out and you know they worked on it in '83 into '84, and then Next Gen's. End of '86, and then and then shot and filmed, uh, premiered in '87. I want to throw one more thing at you, everybody. Originally, the story that that um, Hard Bennett came, and Leonard came up with, like they two, Rathacon was so energizing. You know, Leonard totally flipped. Instead of like, you got to kill me off. I don't want anything to do with Star Trek. Is he got? He was like, oh my god, I I can't leave. And they, he you know deigned to do the whole coffin comeback scene at the end. You know, it was an added footage. So the whole thing of three kind of just set itself up. But the whole thing about it being Klingons, originally the first story draft that Harvard, it's all Romulans. Hmm. And Leonard, a lot of people, it's very weird. There's two times when people looked at Romulans in a movie and said, oh, Romulans are boring. And this was one of them. The other one was was uh, Insurrection in Next Gen Era. It was supposed to be Romulans. And Patrick thought Romulans were boring and made Michael Pillar change it to the, the Sonar and the Baku, and then what happens? The next movie they make Romulans are key, and then the you know years later Romulans are the first redo Kelvin movie, and then they bring Romulans in for Picard. It's kind of like no, it's just you know it was weird, but they they went through and basically just crossed out Romulan 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 and made it Klingon, and then which is kind of where the Lord came from. But the one thing they didn't do is all the way through the story said bird of prey, bird of prey, because that had been the Romulan. You know, a ship name, um, and they left it in. So this is the movie that gave us this weird, like, why do the Klingons have birds of prey when that was a Romulan thing originally? Well, that's why. I guess you could have dreadnoughts in more than one navy, so you can have birds of prey in more than one fleet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was just, that, but that's that's one of those total fluky things that no one thinks about, and then you know, forty years later, they're going, oh, if only somebody had sat there and marked off, you know. See, to me, Romulans have always been the most interesting Star Trek villains. I, I won't consider Star Trek finished until they show us Romulan and Vulcan reunite. 
Uh, oh, that would be yeah. No original series. Oh yeah, the Klingons were the cardboard. Aside from you know you got Core, Kang, and Koloth are like the big three for a reason. Core is kind of like he's chewing the scenery, but he is kind of like the Nazi, you know, the Soviet commissar kind of thing. And then Koloth is just funny. Is like you know it's like almost mocking the whole Ming of you know Mongo kind of thing. And then Kang and his wife and the let's beat the you know, we'll beat our plowshares into our swords into plowshares is kind of poignant. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a reason they stand alone, but all the rest of the Klingons were just, you know, the bad guy of the week. We need a stand in guy. And the two times you saw Romulans from really different angles bounce to Terror Enterprises and we're like, wow, there's like so much assumed about them that and people love those characters and um, and wanted to reuse them. Well, is there really just two Romulan episodes in TOS? And then the stock footage of the ships in Deadly Years, yeah. Wow. See? <laughs> yeah, they made such an impression. <laughs> well, they, they were kind of more of the, the next-gen villains in the end, <laughs> now that the Klingons were oh, not. The were not the board came yeah. along, yeah. The ones that the, every generation they come in, and it's like the end of Bounce of Terror. It's like, well, Captain, in another reality, I could have called you friend. you know. And at the end of the chase, the Romulan looks at you know, Picard and says, well, maybe someday we can... Get together, <laughs> hang out, and it's and in Nemesis, the Romulans are working with them to beat Shinzon, and it's kind of like, you know, so close and so far away. And then to see what unspools on Picard has been kind of interesting too. So that's that's a totally unwritten, unfinished book. Yeah, Luke was asking a leading question there. That's how he wanted Picard to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's just that's just how I feel like Star Trek should end if it ever does. Well, that they reunite and then what? Vulcan leaves the. Fa I mean, that's been the premise. That's a bit of thread in two or three of those pitches that people were doing all through the fallow times when there was no Star Trek and people were throwing out their ideas. More than one of them had Vulcan Romulans get together and Vulcan leaves the Federation, and everybody's got their panties in a wad over it, you know. And that's but that's like one of the touchstones of where the new drama, you know, landscape starts with. So anyway, it's it'll be fun to see. It'll be fun to see what how they finish up what they've done with them. But not to make this all suddenly about Romulans who were not part of. The <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> they almost were. <laughs> anyway, um, as I say, I actually do have to catch a train to work soon. So, uh, Larry, you've got so many things on your plate. I did I did your intro, and I I didn't even mention your uh, you know uh, Portal Forty Seven or um, uh, some of the other things. So, uh, where should people go looking looking for you these days? Well, the best place is still LarryNemechek.com, and, and yeah, Portal 47, I say it's our mini-con all year long. So hello, welcome to the rest of the world that Zooms along now. We've been doing it for five years and had people around the world doing you know, backstage voices and people that worked on the shows that, that you won't see in a magazine or on a convention stage, and things out of my collection and my archives, too, and, and roundtables. It's, it's really it's really a... Um, a fun thing we have people from around the world that do it in different sessions we have live events live online and then and all that but when we're able to travel and go out into the world without covid i do trekland treks which is tours of la area film sites from star trek and um, that's on hold obviously right now but i've got the trek files thank you for being a trekophile <laughs> you're welcome and, uh, yeah and on tuesdays i have a live facebook show called trekland tuesdays live at one pacific or four eastern and uh, on Saturday, the newest thing I do, I'm so proud of this, is Dr. Ali Matu and Dr. Trek. And one of us is a real doctor, but we it's called Life Support Live. And it's we call it uh, boldly going through uncertain times, but it's a mashup of Star Trek and mental health. And it's not grim and dreary. We have a lot of fun. 
But uh, between the two of us, we, we geek out on a theme every week with a specific episode or two or three or character and then have some, you know, under that theme like anxiety or sleep or prejudice or, you know, whatever um, and the whole gamut of things and especially things that are – we started during COVID times and then we had all the racial justice upheaval and now we've got, you know, so much is just dragging, you know, 2020. What can I say? <laughs> You know, and it's and I'm really it's really been fun to do it, and um, a lot of people have really responded well. We send people off with a few. It's not heavy, like I said, but people have some you know daily tip, uh, daily life tips from from Ali, and I'm really I'm really proud that we. Uh, it, it was going to be a panel based on Picard at WonderCon, and when everything blew up and got canceled, we said let's make it into a podcast and keep it going, and and that's what we're doing. So yeah, yeah, you can see it all at LarryNimichuk.com and LarryNimichuk on Twitter. All right, no, it's been very groovy talking to you today. I guess um, just real quick, Luke, do you want to do you want to give your your podcast shouts? Oh, I was happy to skip our our plugs if you've got to go, but okay, I've got a couple. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I just like speed. to <laughs> if I you want like to listen to, see... to me talk about Pokemon, you can find my podcast. Go on Twitter at Luke Loves PKMN. It's also on iTunes and everything. If you like the music you heard in this podcast, you can find Matt's music online at rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. If you like this podcast, you want to get in contact with us, we're on Twitter at MLSFSPod, and you can find us on Facebook, just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. All I was going to do was like try and spit out the layers of our podcast again, which I always fail at. So Because that takes you like 20 minutes, so you would miss your train. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I want to hear you do the legal line at the bottom. That was amazing. <laughs> You're going to have to make that one up. Yeah. <laughs> Side effects of this podcast may be, uh, I don't know, internal hemorrhaging. Uh, see, I can't do it fast. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, guys, I'm watching Miss Your Train, but thanks for having me on, and thanks for, uh, you know, letting me uh, enjoy your style. Many thanks coming out, you know, diving deep into some of that stuff, because there is one that people, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a good platform just to, like, get into Trek, basically. Because, you know, there's only so much in the movie, but there's so many things around it. So it's a, it's a nice one to have this chat. <laughs> well, and like 10, 15 years ago, I thought, you know, this is all getting so old. Uh, the things that I you know was a fan through and the things I saw firsthand, all the 90s and the aughts at Paramount. And, and still a lot do, you know, work with people and things, but uh, the background behind the scenes stuff. But it's like, you know, it's going to get old and dusty and no one cares. And then it's the last 18 years. It's like, holy, you know, holy shit. The people, people, you know. How does anybody who was born in the 90s or the aughts know all this stuff? It's like, I just like, oh, this is so old. It's out there. Now it's online. Everybody knows this stuff. It's like, no, people don't know and they want to know. And and we're still digging out new anyway. So, you know, it's it's been really interesting that, that the tech revolution, the digital revolution and podcasting and that we can talk long distance around the world live on camera. Yeah, this is our convention now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. Uh, Luke, what should uh, Larry and our, our dear listeners do? Well, Larry, you and the listeners, I have now had enough of you. <laughs> Track well, guys. <laughs> All right, cheers.
The Rocky Horror Picture Show. We've uh, well, we've like I after I realized we we're just kind of going in circles. I went okay, I'll and you guys didn't stop me. I was like okay, well we'll, we'll no, get no, down no. your list. We're we're not one to stop anyone. <laughs> we're not being we're very being very prophetsy here. We're not going very lineal. lineal. Oh yeah, that's fine. We don't. We did our little <laughs> plot at the start, and after that, we don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't we don't bring a guest on to not let them talk. Oh well, you you better not with me, boy. I will. Uh, I, you, it's amazing. I told everybody the Trek files. Like, yes, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes. It's like, no, I'm serious. Fifteen, twenty minutes. <laughs> That's not been my history. <laughs>